heroes do the stupid as a rolling thing, so I'm always tracking them. I'm like, whatever, it's my shtick now. And we're rolling good, yes. Hello and welcome to Projecting, the wonderful podcast I know you listen to religiously every single week, and it basically brings a shining beacon to your gloomy lives. <laughs> well, it's probably not that extreme. But, yes, welcome back. Thank you for listening as usual. I'm here with my old friend and comrade, uh, Mark Correa. We've known each other since, I think we said, 03. Yep. Uh, so, about 13, 14 years now, and mm-hmm. uh, we went to Jesuit together, and kept up while he went to uf with our good buddy diego and then he stayed and went to uf med school and just basically we debated a lot about what to talk about and kind of like i think what you're going to hear is some cool stuff about we're basically planning on talking about the med school process well not, not as much the med school but going through the interviews for residency and talking a little bit about some of our times at jesuit and things and you know we've just kind of got a little hodgepodge i'm sure we'll be jumping all over the place mm-hmm. but yeah, dude. I, I remember the first time that I met Greg oh God. was at band camp oh God. in eighth grade when oh God. we were randomly paired to be roommates for the week long. Like 14 years old. Yep. And, and yeah. right, you can tell them. Well, what I say I walk in the door and I'm, I'm, I'm being all, it's funny to think about it. when you're in middle school and high school, you hear something and you immediately are like, oh, that mu-, you, you try to sound smart about everything. So for some reason I'd gotten in my head that drummers could be annoying because someone in the band probably <laughs> said it. And, you know, I walk in and Mark's laying on his bed, banging on the ceiling with his drumsticks. And I'm just like, oh, God, a drummer. That's literally the first thing I said. And he's just, I, I don't remember what you said, but I just remember you looking at me and you're like a look of what the fuck. I'm just like, what, what? <laughs> there was some shade being thrown. There was some serious shade being thrown yes. pre pre <laughs> the understanding of sh- throwing shade. Yeah. But yeah, that was a, that was a, that was pretty much how it started. Then yeah. it became a beautiful blossoming The rest is history. Uh, yeah, we're basically just chilling at uh, Mark's house. Tons mm-hmm. of, uh. Tons of old memories here, and uh, we're just sitting at this at your breakfast table making biscuits. Yep. I guess by making biscuits, they're just sitting in the oven. Most important meal of the day. <laughs> Need my biscuits. Yeah, it's actually funny. We were debating a lot about what to talk about, and we we're like, oh, you know, we could talk about living in Houston together. You know, we could talk about Jesuit, talk about medicine and dermatology or whatever, and all the trappings that come with talking about your professional life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, man. Now you got me talking about clearing your throat. Now I can't stop doing it. But I know uh, one thing we were kind of towards the end when we were getting ready to record and start talking mm-hmm. about just school in general. And for me, obviously, it's I always have a bone to pick with undergraduate and like dealing with uh, just the explosion in, in, in uh, colleges across the country right now where you're having the price is skyrocketing the mm-hmm. value of a degree is kind of diminishing yeah. but i know for you you know obviously going through med school it's kind of a different set of challenges because you're going through like the complete change in the industry and i kept talking about Niels and i's interview where we talked about electronic medical records and how mm-hmm. that's really divided a lot of the industry a lot of the older doctors are not fans of it and not necessarily across the board yeah. Um, and then there's not even an agreement how to do them. Meanwhile, the Affordable Care Act has passed, and that's completely – everyone's trying to speculate as to what exactly is going to change and figure out what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it's had an impact on med school and residency itself. Well, yeah. I mean, I think <coughs> one of the biggest things that I've seen among my classmates and in people my age is, you know, we, we go into medical school and we 
automatically assume about $150,000 in debt or more. Um, if I had gone to a different school other than UF, I would be probably closer to $300,000 in debt. And How much is it about annually? Uh, well, it goes up every semester, no matter what, at every institution. But at this Wait, point, so it's, just, it's just, is this just kind of like there's the a standard? linear increase? But I think so. For me, it's like I think twenty three to twenty five thousand dollars a year, um, which seems yeah. I'd say that definitely doesn't sound as expensive as most med schools, right? Is because right. you went to UF and you count as a mm-hmm. resident or something? Yeah, I'm an in-state resident, and it might actually be more now. That might have been what it was at the beginning. Um, I mean, to be honest, you just take out the loans and don't think about it until you have income. So I can't even tell you what my debt amount is at this point. Um, I just know that it's going to be approaching 150 K by the end. Jesus. Um, so, so in terms of costs, you know, medical school is getting more expensive. Undergraduate is getting more expensive. I was going to say, I know people and, approaching half, you know, some people yeah. probably approaching half a million dollars in debt in some cases. Definitely. I wouldn't be surprised. And I mean, I think for some people that impacts their career choice. You look at the the deficiency in primary care physicians, and you see that they make you know maybe ninety thousand to one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year, which isn't a bad right. money. But but the investment you take in going into medical school, you're you basically have dug yourself into a hole. And some people they see that hole as impossible to climb out of with the income you would make from a primary care perspective. Quick question before you keep going. Um, <clears throat> two things about the the debt. Is it um federal debt? Is it uh, federal loans like FAFSA and all that? Or um, so I have. Um, and is it no interest until like six months after you're done? So is it, like very similar to undergraduate, or is it yeah. how's, how's it structured? <clears throat> the way I so it's a Stafford loan that does not accrue interest until I graduate. And then once I start making payments, the interest... Well, no, the interest is accruing, but it won't compound the interest until right. I graduate. Gotcha. So I'm making interest now through medical school, but it's not... You know, the, the hole isn't being dug even deeper. For So that's one part. There's also the grad plus loans, which I think just about everyone in my class has had to take out, where that does continuously compound, and the interest rate on that is, I think, like 7% or 8%. It could be higher... Um, the Stafford loan is 6.8% annual interest. So, I mean, and the, the issue with the Stafford loan is there's a max you can take out every year. And if you hit that, then you have to move into grad plus. And I think all of us in our fourth year with the interview season and how much they cost, we've had to, you know, dip into the grad plus loans, which you, you talk about one hole with the Stafford loans and, you know, at least you don't have to Possibly even your undergraduate loans as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. The cost of education is is real, and I think for me, I, for better or worse, I just think about it in terms of an investment. Like, you know, this is what I want to do for my career. Um, the amount of startup money is, you know, it, it ends up being worth it. But there are definitely others who don't share that mindset, and they base their career decisions off of, you know getting out of the hole of debt and I, I don't really blame them i mean it that makes sense if you know you don't want to be in debt forever i mean yeah <clears throat> especially it's in your interest i mean that high in debt i can't imagine mm-hmm. what the interest rates are on that yeah and i mean i i, I like I mean, that even if it's not even if it's a low rate i can't imagine how much just money you're spending yeah. on interest a year it's like a, it's just we have friends who had 40 grand in debt coming out of college and they're six, seven years out and they still yeah. can't. I mean, they're still trying to finish it off. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's nice to see that at least some of the politicians now are at least broaching the subject. I don't think anyone's offered a very good solution in terms of what do you want to look like, like, like eliminating <laughs> it. But at, at least you know, Elizabeth Warren mentioned like, oh, we want to drive down student loan debts. Like that's great. At least the discussion is being made. Well, that's what's interesting, and and I don't want to take too much conversation on my end here, but I always think about the fact that <clears throat> think about I think it was this it was in 2015 that um student loan debt became the second highest debt in the u.s behind housing which i mean is insane and and i think this is armchair economist and i think that's even giving myself too much credit mm-hmm. but I, it almost feels like it's almost like more pernicious and the actual debt itself not people taking on the debt or giving the debt out but more like how with the housing crisis, right? It wasn't the Great Depression in that there wasn't all the there was a rise in employment, there was a loss in savings, it, but it was people always characterized the Great Recession, quote unquote, as deeper and like just more permeating. It, it affects everyone in some way mm-hmm. on a deeper level, as opposed to like you lost your job, you lose eighty percent of your savings, and you're homeless. You know, it's it's not extremes. It's just everyone's quality of life went down drastically, mm-hmm. and then there, of course, were a lot of people affected extremely. And I almost see that the rise of student loan debt being this. The, it's not that we're suddenly going to have millions of Americans defaulting. I think what's going to be almost more problematic is that people like you are are the lucky ones almost Mm -hmm. where it's like or myself right i'm so lucky i don't have student loan debt and then i didn't go to grad school and take on more debt so i came out debt free in college and if i'm correct you basically did too right it's just because of your scholarships and academic achievements you were able to do that but what i think you're going to have now is millions of people who are coming out six figures in debt and people talk about buying a home or doing anything no one i know even guys doing well are even talking about owning a home i have one friend who owns an apartment and like it's like a one person place Mm -hmm. and it's nice but you know she did well and that's Mm -hmm. what she achieved and i think that the idea of owning a home and like settling down is everything's being pushed back i just think it's gonna take people are not even talking about doing things until their 30s it's crazy it's it's just you're you can't even get your life started yeah and i mean i I am lucky in that, you know, my earning potential and really the earning potential of most doctors in America can offset that mentality to where it's, it really doesn't right. cross my mind it's very much. It's not as much. quite steep of a pyramid as some industries. And like, right. not that it's easy. I'll work so hard to get there. Mm-hmm. But like even like a middle of the road, quote unquote, whatever middle of the road yeah. means in medicine, yeah. you're still like doctors don't make 30, 40 grand a year. Like Mm-mm. that's not that's Mm-mm. not something they come out doing, which a lot of people do, which is, you know. Yeah. Again, now, definitely taking on the debt and time to earn it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say the first few years, so my the second half of my 20s will be difficult because I have to make payments on a residence salary, yeah. which is closer Very to forty or yeah. $50,000 a year. Um, but, I mean, I think that's also you just make your minimum payments until you get through residency and then your, your income makes a more reasonable Floating level to start making to real payments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, it's, yeah. it's just interesting challenges and like I know we were also I, I was kind of I was talking to you earlier but I don't think I actually really know much about this so a lot of fields um, you're having not enough room there's not enough you know jobs for people and you know even though unemployment's been dropping some we're still you know people especially our generation having a hard time finding jobs so with <clears throat> the rise of that more and more people are going to grad school more people mm-hmm. are going to professional schools have you noticed any change whether from the economy or from 
from the Affordable Care Act or any bills passed, any changes in medicine that you've at least seen anecdotally or anything you've noticed in numbers that maybe you've read about or as far as like harder times getting to med schools, harder times getting residencies? Because I know you're mentioning a little bit about it's yeah. a federal budget for residencies, right? Yeah. So, I mean, in my like three years, I've seen the numbers of people going for the most competitive specialties increase. You know, my I'm biased towards dermatology, so numbers-wise... Last year, I think about 420 people applied, 430, 440. Um, this year, I've been told by programs that they we have over 500 applicants. And, you know, it's... it's For 30 or 40 spots? 350 approximate spots. Okay. So, so that means out the gate, a third of the base aren't going right, right. So so in terms of that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people might want to go into dermatology. You know, certainly mine aren't financial, but I think that there may be some people who see the economic climate and they do not want to stay in primary care. They don't want to go into pediatrics. They'd rather, you know, go into urology or, or dermatology, something with a higher earning potential. And I think the other part of it is the peop- number of people applying to medical school is continuing to increase. It's now, I think Florida, someone was telling me that they might end up accepting like 5% of the people who apply which is insane to me. Do you remember what it was about when you were applying? I think it was like 12 to 15%. Jesus Christ. And I mean, that's in four years. And, you know... I mean, that's what PhDs sound like. I mean, it's like there's there's so few spots and hundreds of people going for it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's you know... And, and so, I mean, med school is kind of the PhD. But yeah. <laughs> it's, but it's like, it, that's so selective. Yeah. It's so selective. And I don't know if loans and the cost of education is driving that... I mean, it. You know, everyone has their own reason for going into a field. Um, so yeah, I, I was curious. I you think, well, do you think it's? Do you think? Do you have any? Yeah, you don't really have any idea of why it might be going up. Not that I expect you to. Yeah. I'm just more like curious if there's it because. Yeah, I, I mean, some, I think they see STEM jobs. There's a lot of talk about that, but who I think knows? it's. I think job security is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you get a residency spot and you complete your residency, you will have a job in any state in America, pretty mm-hmm. much. I mean, you can negotiate your terms, but, you know, if I'm a family practice doctor, I can probably go to any state and get a job um, of some sort. And with the climate in America, that's not guaranteed for all degrees. You know, I think the most popular example is law degrees. You have a lot of more people finishing with a law degree and ending up unemployed um, just because of the job climate. I think engineering also has been seeing some issues with that. So that, I mean, that could be a function of it, but... Yeah, even if know. it's not unemployment, it's underemployment. You know, right. People who are overqualified for job spots. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we always, like, rag on, and I'm sure I get defensive about this. People like to rag on liberal arts degrees, right? Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's, it's not very marketable in a lot of ways. <clears throat> and because of the number of people looking for jobs and the rise of the unpaid internship going beyond college now and yeah. doing that, you know, people having to do unpaid internships a year or two out of school and the rise of startup culture. We're seeing, you know, this explosion of new companies. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people kind of striking out on their own. You get, it's it's funny because you almost kind of see it all being related and it's all kind of tied to economics. It's all kind of tied to policy changes, globalization, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call different issues. But it's like, almost hard to put your finger on what exactly is happening you just kind of get a sense when you talk to people right just the way we talk about work everyone wants to move back into cities right mm-hmm. people have very different value systems people have different work objectives it's for like a lot of our people a lot of our generation like having a house in the suburbs sounds awful 
Yeah. Like, like that's just for some yeah. people, it sounds like the worst lifestyle, but it's obviously still kind of an ideal. It's, it's this kind of retooling of the American dream. I might be just going way off the rails here. Yeah. I just kind of, whenever I start getting these discussions about college and debt, mm-hmm. it always all, almost 90% of the time, my friends, I end up circling back to like, yeah. what is, what is our objective? What is the American dream for us? It's kind yeah. of like a kind of a grandiose conversation, but it yeah. is kind of, it's what's on our mind. I think we're ultimately like, we're out of college, we're out of school and yeah. you can only prolong school for so long. And eventually it's like, well, what, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm grateful in, in that regard. Cause it, for me, it's always been, you know, geared towards the sciences and getting a graduate degree. And then once I got in med school, it became finding a career um, that I could do every day. So I, I mean, it, my goals now are to just find a job that I want to do every day. And thankfully dermatology fits that for me where I would not be bored, you know, working my week in clinic. Um, so I don't know. I, I haven't really experienced the whole, you know, what am I, where am I going in life? And you still got a pretty strong focus that's covering right. the next several years. Yeah. But you also know, like, you want to be a doctor. And yeah. like, that's like, you at least have that figured out. And a lot of people, it's crazy. They don't even know what they want to be doing, period. Yeah. And I, I will say that there was a period of time when I didn't know what I was going into. And that was very stressful because there are so many doors open and you don't want to pick the wrong one especially with residency, because once you match into something, it's very hard to get out of it and go into the field you really want. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that at least in medicine, things end up working out the way they're supposed to. You know, I think about kind half... gravitate your way towards it. Yeah. You, you find what you like and what you don't. I think about maybe half the people in my class have changed their, you know, their career path at least once. I'm certainly one of them. So, but yeah, I, I think those are good things because you have to go in with an open mind into medicine. Right. I think it's almost worse when you kind of go in like, I'm going to do this one mm-hmm. thing because it closes your mind to doing other things. And maybe that's part of the problem is we aren't focused enough sometimes. But I do think yeah. that, you know, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of external pressure to figure it out, especially in you're in a very competitive world. You're in a, you know, a lot of people around you know exactly what they want. It's all they talk about. They talk about how hard they work. They talk about how they're going to get into this residency. That's their plan. And you're like, oh, wait, crap. Why don't I have a plan? Why do they have a plan? Are they going to, oh God. And it it causes this panic, right? I just saw to the undergraduate level how many people I talked to and they were like, oh my God, I'm I'm a sophomore in college. I don't know my major yet. And I'm like, "Eh." That's okay. Like, yeah. I think you know. I think that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I got a history degree and now I play with cameras. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's be real here. Greg can do it. Everyone can. If do If I it. can do it, anyone <laughs> can do it. The, uh, the University of Virginia standards have dropped drastically. As corny of a joke that is. No, no. But no, but it's, it's. I don't know. It's just. It's interesting talking about this, especially with like guys like you have grown up with, and we've all gone through mm-hmm. such changes, and still fundamentally who we are, but we're all facing very different questions and like, yeah. you know, we look at Mike, right? Mike was like, he, he was in the music business program at Loyola and he had to make a decision at some point as like that program was starting to go down and he was like, the realities of debt came on, but he still, it's interesting because he clearly finds so much satisfaction in what he does now. Mm-hmm. He's actually very proud of what he does and he yeah. loves, like, he was doing all this work for you. You know, in other groups that clearly was a little menial to him and he was a little bored of it, but at the same time he was like, He's like, I kind of like putting on a suit, managing and dealing with people. Like, he's yeah. so bitter. He's like, I hate people, but he loves dealing with people. He loves doing that. <laughs> it's such a facade. Love you, Mike. <clears throat> and 
you know, what's he done with his current shipping company he's at? He's brought on two other friends now. Mm-hmm. Like, our friend Davis started there, and our buddy Eichner just started there, like, in December. Um, after That's how the empire Rosa. starts. There you go. That's the thing. Like, Mike's Mike's got management written all over him, whether he knows it or not, because it's just, that's his world. And he went from being a, you know... I'm going to be a rock star, and he still like carries a lot of those values with him. Of he loves he loves to perform, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> but you know he's he loves lifting. He turned into training, right? He turned his discipline to music into like, well, I'm going to power lift. I'm going to focus on my body and my health and and these goals of achievement, these mm-hmm. numbers I want to hit as these milestones as he develops himself professionally and holds these similar yeah. standards. It's like very interesting the way he talks about it and the language he uses. Well, you know, I so hearing that and then thinking about my own experiences and the people that are successful that I know, you know, I think the common denominator is we're all disciplined. You know, we're all people who are In wired a certain way <laughs> yeah, to, to do our work and to do it well and to not, you know, take shortcuts or... We did win the best discipline in marching band. We did. <laughs> Sorry. What year, what year was that? I don't know. Uh, 11? 2010, 2011? What, what it was joke we, of we an were award. Yeah. <laughs> the most disciplined. Um, but sorry, you were saying you no, did, it's, it's a, I mean, a drive that you're saying. And I, I think that you know, when, when people are looking for what kind of job they want and they're worried about the climate, I think you know, if you approach it that you're going to work as hard as you possibly can to get what you want, you know, a lot of times you can get there and there are certain, you know, barriers to that, you know, financially and where you grew up and things like that. And it might not be what you initially planned and that yeah. it might retool to something else. But but I think I think discipline is a really important quality for people growing up to get. And, I, you know, I think the educational climate in high school and grade school, is, we may have lost some of that discipline <laughs> nature. Um, to where in that sense, I'm glad we had, you know, a disciplinarian at our co- at our high school. <laughs> Some, some pros, some cons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like, there's one thing I did learn at Jesuit, and don't worry, I promise for those of you listening who are already rolling their eyes, it's not going to be a groaning like, oh my god, Jesuit was so wonderful. <laughs> there's one thing I did get at Jesuit, and something that, like, was always way more powerful than the threat of, like, detentions and stuff, was that when, <clears throat> when you would mouth off to a teacher, that was, like, the worst thing you could do. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's one thing to like have your hair too long, uniform out, cutting up, even like, you know, pushing like you're all kind of like being guys and, you know, Jesuit kind of rolls with that a little bit and reins it in when you're starting to get too rambunctious or problematic. But the moment if you if you joke with a teacher, make some crack, they'll usually laugh with you. But if you went up to a teacher and not even cursed them out, you just said something, you know, I've, I've, I'm sure I dropped some curse words and jokes with them where they're like, hey, 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 watch it, you know. Yeah. But if you just were just indifferent if you you know they would say you need to turn your work and you're just like mm, i don't care yeah especially to that in front of people it's like the bomb goes off it's Game like over. this it's all about respect yeah and it's that's like a big lesson i learned there's about mutual respect and if you if you couldn't handle that then you were in control thanks so much man. the um that was like it's like you know the uh it's just kind of the big lesson there is just it's all about respect it's about you need to moderate yourself and Mm -hmm. you would have this kind of guilt if you didn't yeah one second all right i think we're back in yeah um mark's dad was awesome to bring us out some biscuits and bacon and stuff for breakfast probably the only time i've done a podcast before like noon but yeah he uh brought us out some food and that was all the rattling stuff came from but i'm sure through some uh hollywood magic and whatnot i'll i'll knock out some of that anyway uh 
I was basically waxing nostalgic and lecturing y'all about respect as we were talking about discipline. But yeah, basically, it's just kids these days. Oh, man. And the moment people start talking about kids these days or back, I get so mad about that stuff because I get curmudgeonly about things, but I I can't stand when people go like, oh, back in, you know, when people worked. I'm like, oh, yeah, as opposed to now. Like, (laughs) well, we are very old. Yeah, I'm so so old at the ripe age of, you know, quarter century. But I'm so old. But yeah, basically, y- y'all got the point. It was a lot about just respect and about, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't that I feared getting in trouble. It was that I felt genuinely guilty and like less of a person if a teacher was just like, that was screwed up. Yeah. It just, you kind of, it was almost like this own kind of self guilt, good Catholic guilt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, you get the idea. So we'll kind of move on here. But one thing I know, Marcus, that we got to talk about is our buddy. Big D. Oh, well, yes. little D, because not the big D. Right. Dead. Big big D's his dad. But Donnie Sanji, um, he's uh, a he recently got his master's in counseling at Our Lady of Holy Cross in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and he is a PhD candidate currently. Apparently, I think he just got his dissertation approved. Hmm. His uh, subject. Didn't I think he's taught me about that. That's awesome. Yeah, and um, I know he's been talking. I don't want to get too detailed because I don't know how much he can share, but I know he's been talking to Jesuit a little bit about some of his ideas. And nice. I think uh, I think. Uh, Desert actually might be helping him a little bit with um, possibly talking to students and stuff. It's really interesting, yeah. but I don't want to divulge too much, especially if I'm wrong. But anyway, Donnie currently, while being a PhD candidate and mm-hmm. doing full-time classes and seeing patients, mm-hmm. not patients, sorry, I guess he calls them, seeing clients. Clients, right. Um, he is actually a full-time counselor at Jesuit as well, and he actually just, he moderates the chess team, and they just won stay, I, so. I believe. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Actually, by the time this comes out, it'll be about a month or two earlier. But congrats, Donnie, and mm-hmm. all the guys there. Uh, anyway, yeah, Donnie's a really interesting example. We're talking about Mike and stuff, and Donnie, you know, is a really good example of like how you can kind of whip yourself into shape in some ways. Because he always talks about how he just screwed around in high school and never made really good grades until the end, like mm-hmm. junior senior year, and it basically really affected his college admissions and said, you know, he had a lot. of it was just a harder track for him to get back into, mm-hmm. but he then went to college, made like straight A's, got very focused on what he was doing, ran a fraternity, yeah. and like from what I could tell, and all the guys I've met from that have really whipped them into shape because they apparently had a lot of issues yeah. internally, and now he's like you know guiding kids and and help you know does a lot of really good work with people as he's you know I go to his place and he's just got a bookshelf full of books and I remember he told me he's like nothing goes on that shelf I haven't read, hmm. and I mean it is loaded loaded with works on counseling psychology psychiatry i mean he's just Mm -hmm. i i cannot work as hard as he does i'm like i consider my i'm like yeah i work i do not donnie work it's unbelievable dude he's like it's like you and diego and people he just hits the books so hard and gets so into what he's doing and wants to master it and it's like from what he makes it sound like it just is a complete 180 from how he used to do things and it's amazing to see how hard he's working towards it racking up debt but like focused on a goal has a very specific end game in mind and how to do it you know has a stable relationship with a lovely woman (laughs) what, what i admire most about donnie is that you know for you mentioned me and diego i think we're very good at laser focusing in on one thing like we study or we do well on our rotations. Um, but Donnie has been able to do very well at multiple things at the same time, which I think takes a different kind of skill set. Certainly I mean, got time management down. Yeah, like there's no way I could have held any kind of job in med school, um, even, you know, offsetting loans or whatever, 
it would have gone very poorly and it would have impacted my studies. So it, it's really refreshing to see someone who can do all of that. And as you mentioned, I mean, like, you know, in high school, like Donnie was, it seemed like his mentality was just to kind of make it through and there wasn't direction, but he's got, he's certainly got direction now. And it, it's inspiring. not to condescend or anything. No, on our no. end. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want it to sound like we're like, look at Donnie growing up. It's like, I'm like, Oh my God, he is it's ridiculous. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really I, cool to see. I can't keep up. Yeah, he's he's one of the people that, you know, I I think about like whenever I come in town and like people I see, and he's definitely one of the people that I wish I saw more of. But I know that he's so busy that you know, <laughs> he's got a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, I think I mean you had like people like Greg Donnell in high school who like you know he was always going to be valedictorian and he's gonna <laughs> he was gonna get that. And I mean, um, yeah, it seems like you know. Goes Don, Notre Dame, Donnie found that kind of motivation <laughs> later on, which I think is rare today. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's just fun. Like, there's all the people we surround ourselves with, and now I feel like we're all just bragging about our friend group. But we know some pretty amazing people, mm-hmm. and I'm sure all the people listening here know amazing people too. And it's just fun to celebrate their accomplishments yeah. and somehow try not to measure yourself too much against it. Yeah, something I always had trouble with when I was younger, <laughs> but. Yeah, I guess, so, I guess it kind of brings us back a little, well, it doesn't really bring us back, I'm just going to shift gears here, because we kept talking about um, your interview process, Yeah. and, you know, I know you're worried about sounding too negative about it, but I know it's just, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of traveling, it's long days, lots of the same questions, and just, it's a serious, grueling process of just time with people, right? Yeah, and I mean, so the most important part of all this is that I, I'm certainly grateful that I got the number of interviews I got for my residency. There are other people who, you know, will not get as many interviews and that makes the match process really a lot more difficult. So, you know, even though these are, I've had a lot of like stressful interviews and the whole period is stressful. The fact that I have them is, you know, it offsets all the negatives. But with that said, um, yeah, it is a difficult period of time. You basically speed date with ten different high-profile doctors in the in a like time span of two hours or two and a half hours, and in those in each fifteen-minute session, you have to explain where you came from, um, why you would make a good resident, and what your strengths and weaknesses are and really why you really want to go to that program. And you have to do that all while answering the questions they ask you. So, you know, they might ask you something like, where do you see yourself in five years? And you have to both answer that question and also, you know, advertise yourself and sell yourself as someone who would make a good resident in their program. So it's, it's very, I feel like it's a lot of politicking in one way. You know, I'm go. I feel like I go to these interviews and I'm on the stage and I have to say the speech that you know will convince everyone to vote for me. Mm-hmm. And that's never been one of my main strengths. I, I mean, it's having gone through so many interviews now. Um, I say that now it's a strength, but it has been. That'd be acquired. It, yeah, it was difficult. <laughs> difficult at first, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you've always been a relatively humble guy and. 
you know, I don't mean to qualify it relatively. He was a pretty humble guy and like, you know, you know you're intelligent, you know you work hard, but you kind of are always a very much like let my let my results speak and yeah. kinda of like selling yourself, which is what it is. I mean, what is we all have to do it at some point, whether it's mm-hmm. convincing like whether it's becoming friends with somebody, whether it's getting it just an interview at any job, it's always at some level you're pitching yourself as a worker and as value that you have value, and it's a very weird situation. Yeah, and I, I mean, it was easier for me this time around than while pretending me. you're not doing that. That's right. kind of the weird yes. part about it. It has and to seem so authentic and natural without being bragging. And and even though I answer the same questions every time, you always have to make it like, oh, I've never heard this question before, so you don't have an automatic programmed answer. Because yeah, I mean, at this point, I basically have my stump speech and. I give it every time and I throw a couple of ums or I pause for a few seconds just to make it sound authentic. But I mean, it does get monotonous and repetitive. You got your elevator speech finely tuned, yeah. but it can't sound exactly too rehearsed. Um, and and it's things got to play the game and everyone pretends they don't. Right. And, I, you know, I, I'm certainly grateful that I get to play the game. Um, like thinking about it and, Going through this whole process, um, it's very easy for me to talk about why I like dermatology, and I, I base all my answers off of that premise. So the interview process itself has gone a lot more smoothly than for med school, um, where it was literally, I will go anywhere, just let me get in somewhere. I don't even know what med school is like, but I know I want to do it. Very, like Now it's more of a, I know exactly what I want to do. And I can tell you about why it's so great and why I'm a good fit for it. Right. But I have a series of questions for you, Greg. So I'm going to now interview you. Do a mock interview with me? Uh, I'll start off off easy. Hold on one second for me. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm back to the magic of pause buttons mid-recording. So, Mark, you're going to interview me. Let's see what you got. I have a series of questions. Oh, God. The first question softball tell me about yourself hi my name is greg tilton uh i am i guess a med student i guess we'll just no, pretend no, no, no. this is just a random this interview is, this is you as greg today. and what am i interviewing for <laughs> life the greatest job you've ever had okay cool um i'm a filmmaker from new orleans uh, attended the university of virginia and uh, where i got my ba in history obviously that's worked out very well for film so uh yeah that's basically the short version Okay. Tell me about a time that you faced adversity and how you overcame it. Well, I could get into specific people and specific places on sets, but that would be rude and and or libel slash slander. But the more or less, there are plenty of times in our field, which is ripe with exploitation of, of just the people who do it. It's uh, art meets business is kind of a dangerous world with a lot of gray area. Mm. So, I found that there's been plenty of situations where you want to be principled, especially outside of it. And you're like, I'm going to stick to my rates or I'm going to stick to my work days or I'm not going to put up with, you know, dangerous moments or people not doing the right thing on set. But then in the moment when you have people counting on you and productions waiting on you or just the the work could be seriously inhibited by your next actions. Mm -hmm. It can be very difficult to stand by those rules. And you try to find the right balance of like, how do I balance the general good with my personal good? And where does that good lie? Because sometimes speaking up is the right thing to do. And generally it is. But sometimes you're like, is this the proper time and place for this battlefield? 
So you mentioned that it, there's a lot of financial pressures. Is it just for lack of understanding? Can you go into a little bit more detail about what sure. like a specific conflict sure. was and how you approached it? A great. You great don't have conflict. to use names. You no, don't, sure, just, sure. Yeah. Great, great conflicts we encounter. Are, um, you'll have your rate. We're mm-hmm. freelancers. We're constantly negotiating our rate with people and. Whether or not you have a hard one, people always negotiate. They negotiate your rent. They negotiate like your rental rates for your equipment. Right. They'll negotiate how much you cost per an hour. They'll argue with you while it's an eight-hour day. So is that a full day? And then you have policies of over six hours. Full, you know, it's all these games and wheeling and dealing. So I've had situation where a company wanted me to work on a shoot. They wanted to pay me about 60% of what I charge to camera operate, mm-hmm. um, which is the guy who mans the camera, not necessarily the cinematographer. Yeah. And it was a 12-hour day, which is industry standard, 10-hour for commercial. Uh, they want to pay about 60% of my rate, and they want me to bring out all my equipment, not included in that rate. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, I guess that is included in that rate. The point is they weren't going to pay me for it. Right. And it was with a large name group, and I was like, oh, this could be an opportunity. And I'm like, yeah, I'm also going to be drained I'm not, it's not enough money to be worth it. And they're not big enough name to be worth it to me. And then I saw that they were also trying to pay other people like even worse rates. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, this is a bad, it was a bad combination of you're too big to be charging these rates. And I'm probably never going to see you again. Let's mm-hmm. be real. You're not based in New Orleans. I'm probably never going to talk to this person. It was, it behooved me to politely and professionally say no. Mm-hmm. And there are times where people start, you've had people who won't take no for an answer occasionally. That's rare, but I've had one or two instances where they like start trying to push you. Mm. And then you get into the game of, oh no, is this going to hurt my reputation? Sure. And then you also have the thing, if you take the job, you have the reputation as the person who undercuts everyone else. Yeah. So it's like this very, it's just, you see, it's just, I could go on and on. It's just such a balancing act at all times. And you're constantly weighing dozens of these decisions at a time. It's, mm. it's stressful, but... Mm-hmm. I guess we love showbiz. Yeah. <laughs> so, next question for you. Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> That's such a, like, I wouldn't say this to you. It's such a, like, a hacky, like, oh, classic question. Of course. <laughs> uh, I'll go the family guy route. Do your... <laughs> Son? <laughs> no, the, um... Yeah. So you'll be married. Uh, yes, I, I I will literally be married. Um, I will be married coming this October. Uh, five years from now, I would like to be, I'm going to speak vaguely because we don't have a specific job in mind, but let's just assume it's film related. It's mm-hmm. like I would be love to be in a directive and creative role where I get to still be in the field doing what I love, which is holding a camera and doing being being the point person there, leading a camera department, talking to gaffers, working with a director to make a dream come true mm-hmm. and bring his vision alive. But I, I would like it to be very much. I have some, some say in this creative direction and the projects I'm taking on. Mm-hmm. So while there will always be those jobs that just feel like jobs, you know, the ones that are tougher, but they help keep the lights on. I, I'd be doing those jobs to help free up the creative stuff, maybe even some of my own ideas. Mm-hmm. So you said making dreams come true. Do you <laughs> want to work for Disney? Is that is that where you um, want to go? I if with. From what I hear, at certain levels, Disney pays great rates. I would work for Disney, okay. uh, depending. They can. I know people have strong feelings about them as a corporation, but yeah, it well, just depends on the. I think if you just want to make dreams come true, then, then I should just go be Disney. Disney. I should. Yeah. Disney's a better fit for me. <laughs> <laughs> what is your spirit animal? My why? spirit animal. 
like my fiance's brother, I definitely identified a lot with the alpaca, but mm. I think that's definitely his spirit animal. I think he trumps me on the spirit animal side of that. Mine's probably the corgi. The corgi? Yeah. In what ways? Um, lots of energy, always a smile on its face, uh-huh. and um, a lot of t- they they move quickly and get stuff done. But there's a lot of wasted locomotion sometimes <laughs> with the short stubby legs. Yes. So I think that I'm like high energy, high activity. I I'm like very active. But I absolutely know that there's sometimes where it's very inefficiently burned. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> That's funny. And Corgi's just freaking adorable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's you, be real talk. You, you are as well, so I think it's very appropriate. Aww. That's really inappropriate for an interviewer. <laughs> what strengths do you have that you think makes you unique from your counterparts? Uh, my history degree? No. Uh, <laughs> Makes me unique and different. Because so yeah, the, that's a good question. This, I mean, because a lot the of why should I hire you over exactly the who's after you like, exactly why you yeah. like the the who gives a damn about you factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my one thing that I'm very good at is dealing with moments of crises or much a lot of input. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very difficult to overwhelm and stress out. So, mm-hmm. and on a set, that's I find it's invaluable. So you'll be 20 people running around. Everything's really frantic. Maybe even the assistant director, people who are kind of at the top, you can tell they're they're starting to hit a strain. Mm-hmm. Um, although a good AD never breaks, <sighs> but you you things get crazy, and eventually it's like, all right, I kind of like thrive in that environment. It's like, all right, I've got these like three other people in my camera department. I've got my gaffer barking at me about where do we need the lights. So we got Genie struggling to find power, and it's like, all right. I can solve this. I can do this, but mm-hmm. I don't like start then going and telling PAs what to do and telling sound what to do. It's like, I stick to my area and I'm like, I can, my area will be taken care of and it'll be efficiently effectively. And on top of just the technical, we are going to do what we set out to do. Like mm-hmm. we're going to make a beautiful piece of work. So I think my, I have good creative skills and mm-hmm. it's, I can handle the pressure of a set. I can handle the activity and management that goes with it. It's a good answer. Thanks. What would you do if you won the lottery? What would you What would you spend a billion dollars on? And your answer will not be as good as mine because of course no, that won't. No one's that, that was Mark's was pretty amazing. And we'll, so yeah, you can decide to share that or not. But yeah, uh, I mean, so <laughs> I got asked that question three different times. He's allowed to brag season. about this. This was awesome. And one time it was like they asked it, what would be the first thing you would buy. So I gave you know my answer that I would. I'd buy a car for my family and like talked about that but then one interviewer they they pressed me further and I said okay well you still have over a billion dollars what are you gonna buy and um you know I I thought about it and I well I really didn't think about it I just said I would buy Star Wars because I would spend a billion dollars and buy the majority of shares of Star Wars and then I could say that I own Star Wars and I don't know that to me was just the winning answer and in the interview setting they put down their pens and said that's the answer we've been looking for all day you win um victory is yours yeah you are now a doctor <laughs> definitely a roll of the dice though uh, you know it's it's a that's a fun way to do it yeah though. the um as far as if i want a lottery i mean obviously i know a bunch of people the guys who listen to this one you know guys and gals immediately know first thing i do is finish reddit doc immediately i'd be like reddit doc is going to be done in seven days and i will like hire like a hundred people yeah. and just be like make this perfect mm-hmm. and like mickey would have his legion of 
assistant editors under him, you know, 20 screens up. Yeah. I would just, oh God, that movie would get done quick and it would look awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's not already going to look awesome. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd naturally immediately just start thinking film application. You know, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd you know, invest money, all the of normal course, stuff. Yeah. yeah, the normal rural. But like, honestly, I'd probably start trying to come up with a cool system for, you know, I always love the idea of giving to charity and helping out as most people do. But I'd try to find a, like a really creative way to do it and something where it's like, all right, well, there's a cool group here called the Cool Cooperative I love working with. And mm-hmm. it's, um, they teach at they call at promise youth in the city mm-hmm. uh film and use film as not necessarily like just teaching them cameras but they use film filmmaking movies as a way to teach lots of things you know we'll talk about history and stuff we'll look at historical film and you know but then we'll like bring them out on set with us and they'll like get to see like lights get rigged up mm. and, and get to like call action and do the slate cool. things that are low risk so like i would immediately probably just be like hey guys here's a million bucks carte blanche i don't care yeah. what you do with it like have fun and just let them build their program how they want to currently because mm-hmm. it's still its infancy and like i wouldn't want to be so heavy steering it but i know they have some good ideas so i'd like to see what they do with that and yeah. then give that continuous support and then uh, probably just do a lot to invest in film communities here cool. support independent films build up film houses like really try to like not even jumpstart because we have the film community here but there's so many great projects and ideas and people don't need that much money to do it uh-huh. like if i just set aside five million dollars to fund like independent short films in louisiana just hundreds and hundreds of movies would get done it would just wow. be it would just be like and who knows if that's effective but I'd have so much money, I wouldn't care if it's a I can find out if it is. Yeah. And if it's not, we try something else. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's the thing. I just immediately start thinking movies. I just can't help myself. <laughs> and travel. A lot of travel. So much travel. Yeah. Where's the next place you want to go? Ooh, that's a good question. Anne Marshall is always not to cater too much to the fiance, but she really wants me to see Besançon, which is a mm-hmm. region. It's a very like German-inspired region of France, cool. and it's where she spent a ton of time um, in France, like teaching, and mm-hmm. she uh, loved it. It was just somewhere that obviously had a deep impact on her life when she lived there for about a year, and uh, I think I'd just love to go there and then make my way into Germany again because I know that Germany is just such a. I loved Germany so yeah. much, but then obviously I'd start. I'd want to, Thailand's a big one. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd kill to go to Thailand. That'd be so fun. Yeah. Nice. And I'd take my mom to the Galapagos. She's always wanted to see the Galapagos Islands. For the wildlife or the Yeah, scenery? she just wants yeah. to see it. Yeah. She's just, she's so, she's got like these three or four places in her life she has to see. Hmm. It's like Machu Picchu, Galapagos Island. She wants to do the um, Trans-Siberian Railroad and I think the Orient Express. Nice. She's, she just wants to kind of hit those like... Mm-hmm. amazing things and honestly after seeing Machu Picchu I'm like oh my god I would so go again my mom has to see that yeah anyway I mean so. your pictures are amazing oh the thank you great dude it was I I've not to brag I've done a lot of traveling in my life I've seen a lot of wonderful things I've seen more beautiful sprawling cathedrals I could ever imagine and castles and just mm-hmm. wonders and it's like there is something about Machu Picchu man you stepped in there and you're just like I can't it's just it was unbelievable I, i'm like i highly recommend anyone just get out there if you can take the inca trail do whatever just you've got to see that city and then just uh, i i just remember standing at the sun gate looking down on it with the moon temple in the mountain in the distance and you're just like this is this is something special yeah <laughs> anyway sorry that's a tangent yeah. but that's funny so yeah so that's basically kind of the role they'd run you through 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes they would ask Durham questions. I feel like this is a like, big opportunity for me to brag and show off and sound and be like, aren't I so smart and wonderful? No. I but mean, this I, is fun. It's like, yeah. not fun, but since it's with you, it was fun. Right. I, I'm sure it's a lot more stressful with strangers who are determining if you can <laughs> go well, into their program or not. Yeah, I mean, the tough part for me has been there's always the sassy answer that comes to mind first. Like, I would buy Star Wars with the lottery. And it, you know, other questions like, oh, what's your spirit animal? Well, I don't have one because I'm not an animal. Like, there's like <laughs> the answer that I can't give always comes to my mind first. So it's not that it's stressful. It's always that I have to like push that answer to the back of my mind and then then give my stump speech. And then find those occasional moments where those answers are appropriate. Right. Where you're like, got to feel your crowd. It's, it's very much dance and you, you practice at it. I uh, was grateful enough to get a list of questions that I could expect to be asked from one of the residents at one of my away rotations in Denver, and that was super helpful, because if I had walked into my first interview without preparing at all, it would have been a nightmare. Mm. So, yeah. But it, you know, my interview season's winding down, so I only have two more left, and then it doesn't, I mean, it already feels like it's over, so... Mm. Another chapter is closed. Yeah, by the time this goes up, you'll because I know, you, like you said, you want to be, wait a little while, yeah. put this up, so yeah. you'll be done at this point. You'll have, will you be placed? Yeah, well, you have a you will have a residency. Right, I will match. Well, I'll make sure. Hopefully, I mean. Oh, you'll be, dude, you'll be fine, man. Don't worry. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you'll find a cool place, and I'm sure you'll be awesome at it. And um, I'll make sure to have either a written addendum or something to let people know. Cool. Yeah, man. Nice. But thanks for doing this, man. This is a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's. I know we were worried about what we we're going to talk about. I know we kind of flipped gears really quickly towards the end there. But this was um, this is something I've always wanted to do. I know we've talked about doing this yeah. for a little while now, and I look forward to doing it again with you and hearing more about residency and the experiences oh, yes. you're going through. Because I'm sure you'll have you already have tons of stories we didn't even get to go into, and right. I'm sure you'll have plenty I'm then. Sure. Intern year will be its own behemoth that <laughs> we can, of course, talk about. The late nights, the mm-hmm. hours. Oh, yes. Et cetera. But, well, thanks again, man. Yeah. And, uh, thank y'all for Happy listening. Hopefully uh, there wasn't uh, too much background noise and stuff. But uh, I think, you know, your dad was really cool about yeah. keeping it pretty quiet back we, there. So I mean, we ate biscuits and bacon, so I really... I'm, I was gonna say, I'm, I'm not, not sorry for anything. <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, man. And, yeah, um, yeah anything else you want to add? No. Happy to be here. We'll... We'll do this again next year, hopefully. Hell yeah, dude. All right. Cheers.